Hello everyone. A special edition of the Interfish Podcast this week. Last week was the Interfish Seafood Investor Forum in New York City, which we put on with our partners, Parenta Securities. It was a fantastic full day of presenters, panelists, and networking, and it brought together investors and top seafood executives from around the globe. Among the panels was an expert discussion on the opportunities the fast-moving seafood sector brings to the investment community and the economic outlook for the industry in the coming months and years. Joining the panel was Christopher Jorheim of Pareto Securities, Hogna Tissoy of Holberg, Tortal Seth of Amera, Amy Novogratz of Aquaspark, and Robert Orr of Cuna del Mar. It was a great discussion. Enjoy. The title of this event is the Investor Forum. So we've saved our investor panel for the end of the day. Uh, we have a great lineup of people. Uh, I'll just call them up and please uh, take your seat. Uh, Christopher Jorheim with Pareto Securities. Amy Novogratz, she's a co-founder and managing partner of Aquaspark. Robert Orr, who we uh, know, who spoke earlier. Tortalseth, the portfolio manager of Amera. And let me look and see, we had one. And he made it, he wins the award. Hogna Tissoy, the co-founder and board member of Holberg Fondena, who just came from uh, JFK. So uh, an extra, extra applause for Hogna. So that's a... Uh, He had to overcome some interesting logistical challenges to be here, so we really appreciate it. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier uh, in my opening, um, we had around 60 uh, mergers or acquisitions or joint ventures in, in 2018. Uh, this year we're on track to, to, to best that. 50% uh, of our C-suite execs thinks that there'll be more, that it'll pick up. Um, Christopher, just your view on uh, M&A activity, uh, where it's happening right now, and, uh, and are we seeing the same kind of speed? Um, yeah, I think when, when you refer to call it uh, your statistics, that it's happening in, in various aspects of the, of the industry, and, uh, and um, a lot of them is call it uh, below the, the scope that we are covering and uh, stuff. So. Um, but but you can see well, this has several things happening in processing. But uh, but in terms of what we see, um, the, we're starting to see more happening in in aquaculture, in, in salmon farming, which has been called quite slow in in um, in Europe over the last over the past years. We had a very active year in in Chile uh, last year, um, and now now it seems like things are, are moving again in. Um, in, uh, in Europe, and uh, so that, that's one thing. Um, and with, on the interest side, we, we continue to see very high well, interest activity from, from private equity, uh, trying to find, find ways in there. Uh, you have a quite notable transaction now, now recently with the Platinum then acquiring uh, Iberconsa in, in Spain, a quite, quite sizable fishing company, and then they have got also quite ambition plans for, for that uh, division. So, um, so yeah, I think they call it there are, are several groups which are looking. Um, you have, an, um, as I mentioned, they are the reasons are different, and then the signals are, are also different. But um, in general, there is call it, people are seeing have a view of the of the good outlook uh, in seafood, uh, and um, either uh, companies trying to get positions or trying to develop their position by, by M&A. Uh, that, that's what's, what's driving it in general. 
Torani, you're one of the companies that are on the, on the hunt and on the lookout for opportunities. And where do you see uh, the most interesting sectors right now from an investor's uh, viewpoint? Yeah, so um, we are quite a focused investor. We only invest in agriculture and, and aquaculture. So we, uh, we see uh, that there are segments within the, the service part, uh, within uh, logistics, uh, that uh, are typically overlooked, uh, that we are spending more and more time on. Uh, today we have heard uh, a lot about uh, cutting-edge uh, technology and, uh, and genetics, uh, but there is so much more uh, wrapped around this, uh, this value chain. Um, so we, uh, we, we typically look at areas where the, uh, let's say, the generalist investors uh, don't look. Right. Um, and, and Robert, maybe you could talk a little bit about that because that uh, seems to be a bit of uh, Kuna Del Mar's strategy. Obviously, you're buying biological assets and you made a strong case that uh, the industry needs to put more fish in the water. Um, by the same token, you've also invested uh, a lot of your uh, capital into uh, technology, into, as Torarna just said, some of these overlooked things that maybe the general investor wouldn't really see the value in. Uh, yeah, again, what, what we're trying to understand with this kind of slightly different perspective than some of the other investors here is, to a large extent, finding winning technologies that are enabling, that are going to enable the growth of the sector. And so because we've got more patient capital, um, we, can, we can afford to do that. We can try to make you know, intelligent investments, um, but investments that may take longer to, uh, to come to market than, than a traditional fund might want to look at. Uh, and, and I think that the ability to do that uh, in addition to, not in place of, but in addition to all the work that is done in the salmon space. Um, uh, but we still tend to be, you know, fairly focused on warm water, marine fish, and things that support that, including hatchery technologies, which I think have a long, a lot of opportunity in them, instrumentation, which has tons of opportunity, the genetics and, and fish health areas that we just had a couple of presentations. But, but I think that, that um, probably other funds, you know, including Aquaspark, would have a broader lens on some of the things that are going on than, than, than we might have, in, including the fund that we were just talking about here in Amara. Yeah, Amy, uh, maybe you could elaborate on some of those uh, sort of non-traditional aspects of uh, the seafood industry that are interesting. Well, so first, Aquaspark, we invest only in aquaculture, but we invest all across the value chain. We're species agnostic, geography agnostic. We're building a, a portfolio of 80 companies that can really showcase an example of healthy, sustainable aquaculture um, that works commercially. We're about a quarter of the way there with almost 20 investments now. And I mean, you've seen a lot of the, like, the, the investment areas through the day. Feed is a priority and, and finding alternative ingredients for feed, battling disease, 
really though, when you talk about um, growing the industry, like what we're saying, it needs to double, maybe triple in the next 10, 30 years. Um, and looking at current practices across the industry, they're far from efficient. So there are huge opportunities in going in and making aquaculture more efficient. And yes, we're, we've talked a lot about salmon and, and other kind of high value species, but most production and, and most of the population growth is happening not where we're farming species, uh, salmon, excuse me. Um, if you look at kind of South Asia, I mean, we, we have an investment in Indonesia. Indonesia has three and a half million fish farmers. Um, we invested in a, a, a simple technology that uses sensors to measure water movement, then has an algorithm that determines when fish are hungry, only feeds fish and, and has an audio version for shrimp when they're hungry, saves 24% of feed each cycle, which as this room probably knows, and it can be up to 80% of your operating costs going to feed. So all of a sudden, you're cleaning up pollution, you're making fish health stronger, you're saving um, uh, feed resources, but you're also having much more profitable aquaculture. And when you, when you invest in a company like that, we invested really early, earlier than normal with eFishery. We went and they, they were making one product a day in their basement. They had clients and, and the farmers loved using this equipment. Um, but with them, and this was 2016, we started working with them. So three years ago, we went from making one unit a day in the basement. They're now in over 10,000 farms and growing rapidly. But much more importantly, not only are they kind of helping to solve the feed and efficiency um, challenges, you see what you can add on to that. So they launched a marketplace four months ago where um, their farmers can sell directly to retailers, to restaurants. Uh, they are now selling five tons of seafood, four months ago, five tons of seafood a day through this marketplace. They have over a thousand uh, buyers of seafood signed up using it. And, and it's just the beginning. Indonesia now has technology centers across the country. Um, there are, are, across the country, there are two. But they, they have a, a, a vision of growing to a thousand in the next few years. It, so the pieces start to come together really quickly. And I think one of the challenges with aquaculture and seafood is how fragmented the industry is, how we're not working together. And so starting to kind of broaden this conversation outside of this room and what we're all used to working on and looking at other solutions goes a really long way. And I could give you a, a 20 examples like this one in Indonesia, through South Asia, through Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, through Europe and other places as well. But I think it's, it's time for the industry to really start thinking differently and be more collaborative. Okay, so uh, Torana, I see you nodding there too, and, and uh, you know, obviously, um, the the industry that's perhaps most technologically advanced at the stage and certainly most profitable would be salmon farming, um, and that can be argued in all all kinds of different ways, I know, but um, but it's certainly we we all focus a lot on it because it's it is the tip of the spear right now in aquaculture in many ways. But then how do investors begin to broaden their outlook a bit and uh, to, to uh, Robert's presentation and to, to what Amy just said, how do they even begin to, to do that? Uh, and, and how do you go about identifying opportunities around the globe? First, uh, uh, I just noticed that uh, all four of us are very sector focused in our approach. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, that's... Uh, to the benefit of more institutional investors, that they actually have a way to invest in, in either early stage or public companies 
or private companies. I mean, you don't need any more capital with, uh, with your backer. So, but in, for, for institutional investors, uh, I think that's a, that's a, that's a great thing. Um, so going back to Salmon, uh, Salmon has had an unbelievable run now for, uh, I don't know even how many years, five, six years. Uh, but still, obviously, struggling with uh, coping with the growth, uh, coping with uh, biologic uh, problems and, and, and so on. And that has initiated uh, a tremendous uh, uh, push to solve these problems. And, and, and a lot of capital and, and, and smart people has gathered uh, to, to solve. And that goes through, throughout the value chain. So. Uh, what we are uh, looking at is how can we apply this technology, this uh, equipment, uh, uh, these uh, operating pr uh, procedures outside of Salmon. So leveraging the investments done in Salmon in, in other species or other geographies. Mm. Uh, so. Um, to your question, uh, how to do it? Well, it, it's not easy. Uh, and, and I think uh, you probably have to be somewhat uh, focused uh, in order to identify the opportunities. Um, but they are there. Hmm. Um, and, and that's what we're searching for. I mean, one of the things that I think uh, probably most of you have uh, learned and that we've witnessed over the, the past couple of decades is that. Uh, the seafood industry requires more patient capital. It's, it's the, the traditional private equity fund of three to five or five to seven years is typically not enough to ride out some of those, uh, some of those cycles. Uh, but Christopher, maybe you could talk a little bit about that and then I, I want to pivot a bit into, uh, into the public markets as well. Um, but first, a, a bit about capital and how investors need to be thinking when they're thinking about entering a space like seafood, aquaculture, and, and fisheries? You mean in the public market or in general? In um, general, just yeah. the need for patient capital, yeah. So no, I think you can look at it in, in different ways, and then people entering the sector have different, call it, strategies and views. Uh, because, but you are right. If you're going it, call it, uh, have a long-term view on, on the investment, you, um, you typically will need to have call maybe longer um, you done other areas because you have to be prepared on, on running into uh, a cycle which you not uh, not expect. But but at the end of the cycle, uh, you're still at your investment case, but it might take a longer time. So so that's uh, you're correct in that uh, you should may need to have some somewhat longer eyes. But at the same time, you see there are other areas to to get into where you can have a more shorter term view where where you um, are trying to take advantage of, of trends in the market, trying to take advantage of example of what is happening now, now in, in the uh, what's going in, in um, land-based salmon production and um, new technologies. You know that, that you, you, as we have seen, for example, in Sapphire, that people are coming at the early stage, have had a high value return long before the company is actually producing what they're saying. So that, that so what you're seeing now, you can have a more speculative entry into it. And, and the last thing is, um, since we have quite volatile 
development in, uh, in the industry, uh, even though uh, prices have stabilized more, call it on an annual basis now for the past years, there, there's still call it, uh, quite much up and downs. Um, and I, I believe that, that um, you will st still have some called short-term down periods, uh, led by, call it uh, surprisingly, uh, surprising market developments, which would again create opportunities for investors. So, so that you don't necessarily have to have a long-term view to, to have interest in a sector, but yes, uh, there are also reasons for, for why you have to have it. Yeah. Hugna, uh, in terms of the public markets, uh, every investor needs to think about an exit. Um, the Oslo Stock Exchange is perhaps the most seafood-focused uh, um, exchange uh, in the world, but oftentimes we are not aware of just how many listed seafood companies are out there. Um, give us a view on uh, on what what the industry or what the investor might be missing in terms of other regions where we actually are seeing uh, publicly listed shares that are delivering a return. Uh, a sizable return in some cases. Yeah, uh, again, thank you for having me. Uh, just a few words. What, what we have done since 2012 is that we have mapped all the seafood companies listed in the world. So we have a database now of 200 plus listed companies, and it's uh, 20 plus countries. It's all kinds of species. It's aquaculture, it's, it's feed, it's uh, it's, uh, uh, and, and I would like to perhaps to mention in particular the, 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 the wild catch companies because the, the wild catch resources globally, they are, they've been pretty stable for the last 30 years. Uh, so the industry uh, has uh, more or less had the same volume, but they had a very decent uh, development when it comes to what they have done with, the, with their resources. Namely, they have taken much better care of all their harvests they are, they are producing now much more uh, consumer-oriented products, while it was much more industrial if you go 10 or 20 years back in time. So the profitability in the wild catch part of, of the world is, is, is really good. When it comes to the aquaculture industry, I, I agree with the, 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 uh, the, the benchmark speaker, which I had, had the uh, uh, pleasure of listening to. It's, it's, it's the, it's the uh, fastest growing, uh, I call it food uh, vertical in the world now, in my opinion. And it's, it's, it's happening uh, in many areas, in many geographies. I can mention Vietnam and Pangasius, which is doing very well. Uh, being a, a fish which was uh, rated low quality in the past, but is steadily increasing and they are doing a lot of work on sustainability, on, on, uh, on certification, etc., and, and, and is, 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 is doing quite well. In, in the aquaculture side, also, we see the Japanese coming now with uh, bluefin tuna, which is a very interesting uh, thing, I, I think. We, we have four, four to five million tons of wild catch tuna in the world today, while it's a very small portion so far of, of aquaculture, uh, but both uh, Marua, Nisui, and Kyoki, three of the largest Japanese companies, are now actually uh, made breakthroughs for full life cycle uh, bluefin tuna, which, which we think is something which is worth, uh, worth looking at. Um, as I said, we, we have mapped, mapped all listed companies in the world and built a database uh, on, on, on that basis. And, and we have some astonishing figures historically with revenue growth on aggregate of six to seven percent quite stable for the whole sector for a, for a number of years. And 
And, and uh, I, I try to, to, to use this kind of picture. If you look on Nestle, Unilever, these giants in the food industry, and look on how they are priced and how they grow, and you look on an, a number of seafood companies and, and build a portfolio of them, you will, you will find out that you grow faster than these mature big uh, food companies. You are at much lower <coughs> multiples. You have very decent cash flows, dividend support. Uh, so in my opinion, it's, it's a very interesting part of the food industry to be involved in. Do you get the sense that uh, in your analysis that the, um, the stock-listed companies tend to have primarily regional investments uh, in them, that the investors tend to be regional rather than coming from uh, other parts of the globe? And is that uh, a missed opportunity? Yeah, and, and, and of course, if, uh, how we see it, in, in, in a few countries, there's only one or two or three seafood companies listed, while many others. For instance, uh, Norway and Japan, I, I guess, are the two largest when it comes to market cap. But of course, on the Japanese market, even though the seafood companies are large, they are a very small portion of the total market. So in my opinion, overlooked. And there's also, in, in other countries, there could be, as I said, one or two or three countries. And, and, and from that point of view, there's very little research or focus on them. So in, uh, so in my opinion, a really, really interesting part of the markets to go into for an active asset manager to, 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 to dig into them and, and find really interesting companies with, with good cash flow, with good growth, good management, and not that high pricing, actually. So, so, so we think it's a very attractive sector to, uh, uh, to be in. I'm glad you brought up wild fisheries. And, and um, uh, Robert, how about we go to you? Um, and then maybe to Amy afterwards. But, but how, what is your view uh, as an impact investor on uh, wild fisheries? It's something that um, we haven't talked a lot about today, but certainly, as Hogna mentioned, there's uh, some very, uh, very profitable companies doing a, a good job on, uh, on uh, uh, managing the, the resources that they harvest. But what's your view on wild fisheries and, uh, as, as an investment? Well, you know, I have to say that my uh, business partner in my previous life, you know, uh, generated the majority of his initial wealth out of the wild fishery. So, um, you know, the Clearwater uh, seafood business, and John Risley was uh, uh, my partner in my previous venture before I, I got into this uh, investment field. Um, so I think that, that the analysis that, that was just given is spot on there, you know, by and large, Again, I would say in, in Europe, uh, North America, Japan, where there's good management, responsible management, uh, responsible management of, of the fishery resources, um, you know, companies like Clearwater that develop technology in order to be able to more efficiently manage the, the wild resource and make sure it's there for a long time to come. Those companies will still continue to do, to do very, very well. Uh, I think the challenge there, obviously, is that if you just look at the other side of the numbers, for the last 20 to 25 years, the total wild catch, you know, uh, worldwide has been plus or minus 80 million tons, and it's been flat. It's not going anywhere. So, yes, you there will be good investments inside of that, but but I don't see, you know, any opportunity, you know, in the near future where there's going to be a, a massive rebuild of the biomass. Uh, and, and so I think that to the degree that the aquaculture industry can become more sophisticated, more disciplined, uh, uh, more environmentally sustainable over time, 
that long term, perhaps 50, 60 years, there may not be a need for a wild fishery because the, the industry will evolve to a place where you can do it more cost efficiently. We were having this discussion last night at the dinner table, and I know it's a little bit controversial, um, and I have this discussion with my ex-partner all the time. Uh, so there's still a long run there, and there's, and you know, obviously really efficient, profitable businesses and, and some consolidation, and I think that, um, but the future has to be in aquaculture if you're looking for sustainable growth. Uh, and, and, and at the end of the day, I think that's all ultimately down to effective investments in the technologies and enabling technologies that are going to, and, to allow us to uh, grow a lot more fish on land or uh, in the sea and do it in an environmentally sustainable way. So, Amy, what's some of the uh, what's some of the uh, the investment case that you have when you uh, are looking to uh, to make an investment? Um, maybe you can speak just briefly to the idea of wild fisheries. But what are the things that you are looking for in the companies that you acquire uh, to be a part of the AquaSpark ethos? I guess you could call it. First, I'll just say on wild fisheries, I share your view completely, Robert. Um, so nicely said. Um, so, I mean, the first thing we look for is what the company is solving. Are they solving one of the big challenges in aquaculture? Are they going to help make the industry healthier, more efficient, and more profitable, you name it, more accessible? Um, and then we look at, because we, we really were a fund, but we act more like a holding company, and where we're building a portfolio where we link the dots and our companies work together and benefit each other. So we look at where that company can play a role in the portfolio and where the portfolio could actually add value to that company. And outside of our portfolio, we have a much larger, more alive, or very alive ecosystem of partners as well. And we look at kind of what those partners are working on and how that company can further their mission. So really looking at the, the bigger again, ecosystem of aquaculture and how that company is going to add to it and work with it. We, when we make an investment, all of our companies sign a shared values agreement. So we kind of lay out very clearly how we see the future of aquaculture, um, how we see sustainability. We know that uh, progress is never linear, and we agree to kind of work with you to get there, whatever that looks like. Um, but we want to make sure we're aligned with uh, the portfolio companies we're working with and, the, and that they share that same vision. So we look at their values. Um, we look at their stage. I mean, we, we're kind of the perfect spot for us as a company that's really ready to expand, that already has proven that they know what they're doing, that it can do it, that have some traction in the market, but it want to grow their solution. So it's, it's early stage is, is a, for you a, um, a key place that you like to enter into? Yeah, not, not too early. But mm. I mean, I guess for this room, it probably would be considered really early. Um, but early, but with proof. Right. Um, but, but we also, I mean, when we developed our strategy, we actually developed it with the industry and heard over and over, especially from, um, from farmers, that what was missing with any outside investment offer was, the, was a long-term partner. And so we're also, we have a long-term approach. Um, we follow on for as long as it makes sense for us to follow on, as long as we can continue to add value to the company and that they're working with us. Um, so early, but we keep going and going. Right, right. 
Christopher, going, uh, going from, from small to large, um, we've uh, uh, seen uh, some major, major companies enter into the seafood space in the past several years uh, in a big way. Cargill comes to mind, uh, Joy Vio slash Legend Holdings. Where do you think uh, tomorrow's seafood investors are going to come from? Will we see more private equity investors coming into the space? Uh, will we see more institutional investors? Uh, more of these major companies, a little, bit of, a little bit of everything, but if you were to say where we will see uh, the most, where do you think that, that money will come from? Um, no, yeah, yeah, you mentioned Jaiwa View, um, uh, owned by Legend, uh, entering them in, um, in Chile. Um, so th that's call it. They they were already in seafood, but they really wanted a presence in in aquaculture. Um, and so I think it's not necessarily that there are completely outside uh, companies coming in, but that there are companies which are in in some areas of seafood, but that wants to have a stronger presence in, in aquaculture, where we call it the, the largest growth will, will come. And then I think you have already seen something happening in them, both from the Japanese and from the Chinese, but also uh, um, several of all those uh, other uh, companies there that, that I think you can see more from. And, and we listened to Sea Farms uh, earlier today. Uh, they got a call it small, uh, relatively small investment from, from Nisui, but I think we should expect that they, they have prepared the, to, to go larger into so that, that project when, when, they, um, when that develops. So, so, um, so that, that's, that's one thing, but you mentioned private equity, and, and yes, that you will continue to see more and more private equity uh, come in. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's for us, then sitting and talking to these companies, it's it's a bit of a challenge for those who are not there because you have got to get more and more also companies with very strong expertise. You have Torana with uh, Amara, uh, which then um, um, really are called focus, and you have Bruce Capital, uh, which talked to her uh, earlier. Um, so, which then, and then more are coming, which have experience, um, and then. Companies that want to access uh, are fighting with maybe um, people which have called it more more insight. So that, that's that's also oh, that's also some of the concern that we see from 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 companies that they it's um, not always easy to to assess uh, all aspects of, of uh, the investment because seafood is complex and there are a lot of factors impacting impacting. Mm. So um, yeah, so. Mm. Well, that's part of why we're all here, I guess. So, uh, Torana, you were just called out uh, uh, as one of the experts in the in the space. Uh, so, tell us a bit um, about the pitfalls. Uh, there's been some uh, pretty spectacular failures over the years. Um, what is it when we've seen? Uh, let's stay focused on on private equity a bit. But when we've seen the failures. What have been the common denominators that have made investments not succeed? Well, uh, just to, on, on your previous question, uh, question uh, what's interesting now is that you see capitals from, from everywhere seeking. I mean, you have very significant family offices. You have very significant pension funds. You have sovereign event fund in addition to the traditional uh, PE uh, uh, 
ca source of capital, uh, which is completely new. Uh, so, uh, so, so that's an extra dimension here. Um, pitfalls. Uh, well, the thing with, with the seafood aquaculture is that it has all the typical risk factors. And then, in addition, uh, you have biologic risk, you have uh, weather risk. Uh, so, so you have, it, it's really about, a, I think it's, I don't know if it's uh, Alf Helge that says it, but, but owning a fish farming company is really about risk management. So you, you need to be on top of all these, these different uh, uh, risks. You need to monitor them. Uh, you need to manage them on a daily basis. You need to have people that can do this. I mean, for, for us, uh, when we invest in companies, the, our, our key challenge is actually to find enough good people. Uh, so what we end up with is, is bundling uh, the existing <laughs> team uh, often with people that are not from uh, the aquaculture or seafood space, but, but they have, uh, they have a, a, a knowledge and a competence that we really need. Right. Uh, so, so, so. So, so you were mentioning all the different people coming into the space. How are they hearing about these opportunities, number one? And what are the ultimate, uh, what will be the impacts as more uh, investors, wherever they may be coming from, as they enter the space, how is that going to change the face of seafood and aquaculture and fisheries? Well, they, uh, they are looking at this because they're smart, <laughs> obviously. Um, well, with the growth we see in aquaculture, uh, it's, it, it's obvious that uh, investors will, will take a look at it. Uh, and, and invest time and, and money to, to try to understand it and, and how they can, in, uh, let's say, position themselves uh, in, in, in aquaculture or seafood. Um, I think these new sources of capital, and, and we're talking about investors that has literally, I mean, there is no limit uh, when it comes to capital. Uh, so, so I think uh, we are seeing uh, the start of, uh, of a transformation on, on, on how the seafood industry is, uh, is structured. I think we will see uh, more rapid uh, consolidation. I think we will see uh, more global uh, uh, multi-species uh, company. Um, Hongna mentioned that uh, today there are 200 uh, plus uh, public entities, which is really nothing uh, to think about uh, the sector. But I would claim that at least half of them shouldn't be public in the first place because they're too small, they're overlooked, they're undervalued, they go, sorry, uh, of course, I understand that you need to take them public. <laughs> but, but, but the reality is that... Um, we can make the profit again. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the, the reality is that you, 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 you do IPO and everything is, is perfect and then you sort of uh, fade out 
the value goes down, and then you still have to pay whatever it costs to, to stay uh, listed, and then you need to disclose what you're doing on a quarterly basis. Uh, but because the, sh the share price is so low, you cannot raise capital. So it's, it's, it's a lose-lose. Hmm. Um, so what is needed is, is more sizable public companies that are more diversified, uh, bigger, they have uh, excellent management. Uh, uh, and, and, and that's probably a few, hopefully a few uh, years until that uh, happens. And in the meantime, uh, private equity uh, will, will flourish, uh, mm. in my view. Mm. And, and also specialized uh, uh, family owners. And just, you know, I think that you know, Tor has it spot on. I think that I think it's a fantastic thing that there are now, as the sector starting to mature a little bit, and it's still early, relatively speaking. Sure. That you have multiple different sources, different types of capital available. Uh, but I, I would say back to actually Amy's point. Uh, I think that we need to start thinking about two particular things. First of all. On an aquaculture basis, the majority, 60% of the world's aquaculture still happens in China. I mean, so, you know, in the Southeast Asia, the demand, so we've got to think about it not from a European, North American centric view. And I think secondarily, we need to get over ourselves and we need to stop fighting amongst ourselves. And so, whether you're early stage or late stage, quite frankly, whether you're wild fishery or aquaculture, whether you're land-based or sea-based, we need to be collaborating because we're in the seafood business and 25% of all the protein on the planet being consumed is seafood. And so our ability to get together and figure out how to help one another grow seafood totally instead of wild fisheries fighting with aquaculture and, and offshore fighting with and making somebody else wrong so as I can look better isn't the future. Isn't, isn't the 21st century way when, on a global basis, we need more collaboration and figuring out ways to collaborate and to help one another succeed. I think that that's a view that we need to start you know, thinking about more specifically than we have in the past. Ogna? Yeah, I would like also to add that uh, on, an, on an optimistic tone that the consumer out there is, is really keen on seafood. Uh, from many angles, uh, seafood is, is the answer to, uh, to, to many, many health problem issues in, in, in the world today. And we see the wealth effects in Asia particularly is, is doing something with the consumer over there. But it's also becoming very demanding. So I, th I think the whole industry, whether it's wildcat or aquaculture, whatever, needs to take into account that we need to be very transparent. We mm -hmm. need to be more and more... Uh, in, in line with, with, the, with the nature, how we produce things, how we, how we breed, how we, how we uh, do our aquaculture sectors. And by that, I think the consumers will, will, um, will embrace that and, and we will see a, a, a very interesting growing market for seafood globally over the next 5, 10, 15 years. So, so I'm very optimistic on the sector's behalf. Short uh, comment on that. I, I agree 100%. Uh, uh, the problem is that there are so few seafood companies with uh, the capital uh, and the, the human capital 
needed to develop consumer products. So uh, if you compare to, to poultry and, 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 and other, um, let's say, animal proteins that we're competing with, uh, we are decades behind. Yeah. But, but we mm -hmm. see the giants leading on, whether yes. it's in the salmon industry with Movi and Leroy out of Norway, whether it's Maru out of Japan, whether it's uh, Thai uh, seafood. Or, there are a number of companies which, in my opinion, is doing a great job in, 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 in creating uh, convenient products for the consumer. And for instance, use Norwegian salmon in, in Germany. Uh, they launched it in a, call it in a much more client-friendly way seven, eight years ago, and the, the consumption has gone six times up since yeah. then. Mm. So, so uh, the answer uh, out there is clear. Uh, if, the, if the industry adapts to what the consumer is demanding, I think there is great opportunities in many areas of the seafood industry. Actually, absolutely. The, the brand actually is the story of practices and, and farming well and farming transparently. And the more we kind of open things up, um, then, then you have the brand, you have the story, you have the consumer. And there, there's, there was a question during the feed panel around how you get retailers engaged. Retailers are dying to find this product. They're, they're hungry for a space on their shelf where they can say, this is how it was produced because the consumers are pushing them. It's, it's all of us getting together and realizing that we actually have the same goals. Um, we might have different ways of getting there. H how do we get there? Hmm. Well, you know, since everyone's in a, in a jovial mood, let's end the <laughs> panel there. I think that's a, that's a nice note to end on. So mm -hmm. please uh, join me in thanking the panel. Thanks for joining us all, and thanks again to event partners Pareto Securities, sponsored Silverside and the Chilean Salmon Marketing Council. We'll be back next week with our regular interfish podcast. And remember that you can find the very best in coverage of the seafood, aquaculture, and fisheries sectors on interfish.com. Bye, everybody.